0: My sermon text this evening, as we have begun a new sermon series in 1 Peter, we, are, we continue to consider uh, the various phrases and statements here in the opening section of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So that is my sermon text this evening, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 to fill out the context a bit. So let us hear, once again, God's holy word. Once again, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray for God to bless the preaching of his word. Lord and Father in heaven, once again, we are awed at the truth that you have spoken to us. And we thank you for your word of grace in Jesus Christ. We pray that we might hear that word of grace this evening as we consider this portion of your God-breathed, inerrant, infallible, authoritative word We ask that this passage of Holy Scripture would indeed be to us a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, a guide to our way. And we ask, Lord, that you would feed our souls this evening, edify us and build us up, challenge and strengthen us. We pray these things through Christ our Lord and all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. This evening we're going to focus on the phrase, in the sanctification of the Spirit. And so the title of my sermon this evening is, Sanctification of the Spirit, Being a Holy People in a Hostile World. And there's just a couple key words for the children to listen for this evening, sanctification and then sanctify and holy. Well, dear friends, the challenge that was faced by the original recipients of 1 Peter is essentially the same challenge that has been faced by all true followers of Christ in every age of church history. And that is the challenge of how to live as a holy people in the midst of a hostile, unholy world. As Christians living in this present evil age, We face many obstacles that threaten to hinder us from becoming the kind of people that Christ has redeemed and called us to be. The Word of God identifies three specific obstacles or hindrances or enemies to holy living, these obstacles being identified as the world, the flesh, and the devil, three powerful enemies that set themselves against us in our pursuit of holiness. Now, let's take them one at a time. When the Bible uses the term world in a negative sense, it is referring to this present disordered world, this world that has resulted from mankind's fall into sin in Adam. It is the world as it has set itself in opposition to the lordship of Jesus Christ and the truth of God's word. It is the world which is in the grips and under the control of Satan and his servants. When the scriptures refer to the flesh in a negative sense, they're not talking about our physical skin or about the human body as if the skin and body that God himself has created was somehow an evil thing. No, instead the term flesh is sometimes used in the body to describe man's sinful nature. That sinful nature expresses itself through our flesh, our our bodies, but nevertheless in the negative sense of that term, the flesh refers to basically our sin nature, our corrupt, fallen sin nature. And though we as Christians, though as Christians our flesh has in principle been put to death because of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection, at the same time, in this present age, every believer will continue throughout his or her life to do battle against the remnants of the sin nature that remain within us. And of course, the final obstacle to holiness that we believers face in this hostile world is the devil himself, God's archenemy and the devil's servants. Now these are imposing and powerful enemies. Friends, with such imposing obstacles facing us, what hope do we believers have when it comes to living holy lives in the midst of a hostile world? How can we ever hope to stand against the world, the flesh, and the devil? It is at times when we are tempted to be discouraged in our spiritual warfare that we need to remind ourselves, brothers and sisters, that Christ our Savior has Himself overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. He is our divine victor over the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the Word of God says that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Through Christ, we are more than conquerors. As the Scriptures assure us, He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And Christ enables us by His grace and indwelling Spirit to live progressively and increasingly holy lives through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, the kind of sanctification that the Apostle Peter speaks of in our text for this Lord's Day evening. Again, as our passage says, we are elect exiles, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit. But, you know, when we consider the term and the concept of sanctification, that term and that concept in Scripture can be viewed from several different angles. Sanctification, for example, can be viewed as both an event and as a process. Believer, when the Holy Spirit caused you to be renewed, regenerated, born again, and effectually called you through the gospel to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as your very own Savior from sin, when that happened, you were then and there sanctified forever. You were set apart once and for all and forever. Theologians sometimes call this definitive or positional sanctification. That's what it means to be a saint. It means to be a set-apart one, a holy one, one who has been consecrated to God through the finished work of Christ. Again, you were set-apart believer to be consecrated, to belong to Christ, not only for time, but for eternity. All true Christians are sanctified in this sense, the moment that they are born again and converted to Christ, even Christians who are messed up like the Corinthian Christians were. It's amazing to me, if you read 1 Corinthians, if you're familiar with that portion of Scripture, the Corinthian church had all kinds of problems. There was division and schism in the church. There were some Christians who were falling back into old pagan patterns of sexual immorality and even idol worship, and yet notice how Paul addresses the Corinthians in his opening, uh, opening words in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. He opens up uh, saying who the letter is from. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those what? To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. But friends, that initial setting apart that begins, uh, that begins our Christian lives, that positional or definitive sanctification that begins our lives, begins a lifelong process of growing in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's no one who, is, who has been definitively or positionally sanctified who is not also being progressively sanctified and growing in the knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a process, again, that is often called progressive sanctification because it's a process that happens over a lengthy period of time, over a lifetime indeed. What this means, brothers and sisters is that if you are a born-again Christian, you have been sanctified and you are also being sanctified. If you ever get into a conversation with a fellow Christian, perhaps from another uh, denominational tradition, who asks you, well, are you sanctified? You can say, yes, I have been sanctified, but I am also being sanctified. By His indwelling Spirit, God gradually over time continues to conform you more and more into the ethical image of his son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So then, sanctification means having been set apart to belong to Christ, which is what it means to be a saint, a set apart one, a consecrated one, a holy one, and it is also being increasingly changed over time so that you become more like Jesus as you grow in the knowledge and love of the Lord. Well, friends, in our text for this Lord's Day evening, the Apostle Paul expresses and points to this truth by telling us that we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. In our passage for this evening, we will consider three things. First of all, we will consider the foundation of our sanctification. Then we will consider the of of our sanctification. And finally, we will consider the effects of our sanctification. If you're busy writing down those three points, those are the three points. The foundation of our sanctification, the agent of our sanctification, and the effects of our sanctification. Let's first of all consider the foundation of our sanctification. How is it that we are sanctified? What is our sanctification grounded in? Well, again, Paul makes it clear We are sanctified because we have been elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Friends, our eternal election in Christ according to the Father's love of foreknowledge is the bedrock foundation of our sanctification. Now, as we have learned in recent weeks, God's foreknowledge does not mean that God simply foresees our actions. God's foreknowledge does not simply mean that God chose us because he looked down the corridors of time and he foresaw that we would believe in Christ and live holy lives. If God chose us because he foresaw that we would choose him, that would mean salvation is ultimately our work and is uh, is, uh, the result of our actions or decisions. But friends, God's foreknowledge means that God in sovereign mercy and grace has loved us even before the creation of the universe. And therefore, he has chosen us, not because he foresaw that we would have faith and live holy lives, but he loved us in order that we might come to believe in Christ and live holy lives. We have been loved and chosen unto faith and sanctification. In other words, we believe in Christ and strive to live holy lives Because God, in His sovereign grace and mercy, has unconditionally elected or chosen us unto salvation, even before He created the universe. We were chosen by God, not because God foresaw that we would be holy or worthy of being chosen. That would make salvation by works, not by grace. Instead, we were chosen so that we might become His redeemed, holy, obedient People, Dr. I. Howard Marshall, in his commentary on 1 Peter, and it's my understanding that Dr. Marshall is not a Calvinist or not reformed in any way, and yet he explains that the phrase, in the sanctification of the Spirit, or as it is translated in the New International Version, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that this phrase in verse 2, quote, expresses the way in which God's choice and its effects take place. What that means is that the results which come about from God choosing us take place in our lives through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Again, the Father has chosen us unto salvation. The Son incarnate in time has redeemed us by His obedient life and atoning death and glorious resurrection and ascension and intercession for us at the Father's right hand. And God, the Holy Spirit, in God's timing, applies the redeeming work of Christ to us. Now, how should we react to this truth? There's many things that could be said uh, in answer to that question, but let me just suggest uh, three important ways, three important implications of this truth. First of all, beloved, this truth ought to make us humble. After all, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is the fruit of the spirit not the fruit of our own self-efforts our own resolutions to do more try harder be better not the fruits of our own attempts at being pious but the fruit of the spirit now does that mean that in the christian life we should just sit back and be passive sort of the let go let god mindset that we shouldn't be diligent in seeking to pursue holiness? No, it doesn't mean that at all. We we ought to diligently use the means of grace. We ought to diligently seek to fight against sin, to put off sin and put on holiness and pursue Christ. But let us understand that if we do that, it is because God is at work in us, both to will and to do, of His good pleasure. So He and He alone gets the glory. I remember as... As a young believer, and again, I've shared this before, and I don't want to get too autobiographical, but insofar as I understand the Lord's work in my own life, I believe I was effectually called or converted to Christ as a 15 year old in the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of high school. I remember as a young believer, a year after I had come to trust Christ as my Savior, I remember looking back and You know, I had been reading my Bible and learning about the faith, and I remember looking back and thinking, I wonder if I'm starting to mature as a Christian. I wonder now if I'm a grown-up Christian, right? And then two years after my conversion, three years, I would sometimes look back, and sometimes I would feel proud. Like, wow, I'm I'm really crushing it in the Christian life. I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm going to church regularly. Then I had a bit of a dark night of the soul in college for about... semester, a year, I fell into a cult for a couple months, and I thought that I committed the unpardonable sin I considered suicide. The Lord humbled me, humbled me through that experience. And by the way, that was one of the impetuses that drove me to the Reformed faith, because when I looked at my own life, I realized there's no way my salvation can be based on my performance, my religiosity, my piety, no, no. It's all by grace and grace alone. And what a freeing truth that was. To know, as God's word says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Even if you've messed up and wandered astray, the good shepherd seeks after his lost and wandering sheep. Brothers and sisters, if you are being sanctified by the Spirit, if you are growing in your faith, what that will mean is that the more you grow in grace, the more sinful you will realize you are. The more you get closer to Jesus, the more the light of his holiness will shine into the dark corners of your your soul and show you that you're not as holy as you think you are. And the more that will drive you to the foot of the cross, and it is only there that you will find relief. That is what sanctification does. It results in you becoming more humble. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is not something that you work up within yourself. It is not something that you can produce by your own efforts at trying harder and making resolutions. It is the result of the Spirit's secret, mysterious work. So let this truth humble you this truth also ought to make us thankful if we are being sanctified by the spirit it means that god has chosen us for salvation and loved us with the everlasting love of foreknowledge doesn't that blow your mind dear christian to think that god loved you even before he spoke the universe into existence god had you and me in mind He had plans of mercy in view for you even before he created you, even before he created the universe. That ought to fill your heart with joy inexpressible and filled with glory and deep thankfulness for the amazing grace and mercy of God. If we are being sanctified by the Spirit, it means that God has chosen us for salvation and loved us with the everlasting love of foreknowledge. Praise be to God. This truth also ought to make us confident, confident even in the face of hostility. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have been set apart to belong to Christ, not only for time, but for eternity, forever. And even if we struggle with sin, which we will, that's not an excuse to sin, but simply a realistic recognition that the sin principle will remain in us until we take our dying breath, And so the Christian life is a battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. But even if we struggle with sin, again, which we will, if we belong to Jesus Christ, and if we are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, which we will be if we belong to Christ, we can rest assured that God will cause us to prevail in the end. For he who began a good work in us will carry it through to completion. So the foundation of our sanctification is God's eternal love of foreknowledge. Let's consider next the agent of our sanctification. Who is it that sanctifies us, according to Peter here? We are chosen by God, according to His foreknowledge, in the sanctification of what? Your spirit? Your pious intentions? No in the sanctification of the Spirit. That is the divine Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity. Friends, the Holy Spirit is the divine agent of our sanctification. Again, notice how the Apostle Paul mentions all three persons of the Holy Trinity in verse 2. This reminds us that the apostolic faith was and is a thoroughly Trinitarian faith. All three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and and Holy Spirit are active in working out our salvation. And in the work of our salvation, the work of sanctification in particular is ascribed specifically to God the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that the Father and the Son have nothing to do with our sanctification, but it does mean that the direct agent of our sanctification is the Holy Spirit. That is uh, the agent to whom our sanctification is ascribed. The word which is translated here, in, here in the ESV, is the Greek word, en. And according to the linguists and grammarians, this word is probably being used here in what is called the instrumental sense. What that means is that the effects of having been elected and foreknown by God take place through or by means of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I think that, at least in this particular case, the New International Version translation probably gives the better sense of the original when it translates it through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. What God has planned for us in our salvation is applied to us through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. As one commentator states, the order of terms employed suggests that the sanctifying work of the Spirit referred to here is the influence of the Spirit that draws one from sin towards holiness. Peter says it is for, or to, obedience and sprinkling of Christ's blood. In other words, the Spirit's sanctifying leads to obedient saving faith and cleansing from sin. So, in other words, friends, when Peter talks here about the sanctification of the Spirit, Peter seems to be using this term, sanctification, in this context, to refer to what the theologians normally call regeneration or being born again. But again, this initial sanctification, this initial renewal by the Holy Spirit by which you are born again, that's not the end. It isn't just that God zaps you, you're born again, okay, that's it, everything's cool. No, you're born again, and then that begins the Christian life. That is just the beginning of a lifelong process of growing up spiritually to be more like Jesus. That is your purpose in life. That is God's purpose for you, believer. Your sanctification, your growth into the image of Jesus Christ, making you more and more like Jesus. And the divine agent of this initial and continued spiritual transformation is none other than the spirit of the living God himself. The fact that the Holy Spirit is the agent of our sanctification ought to lead us to give God all the glory for any progress that we make in the Christian life. Remember, pride goes before a fall. Be very wary. If you think you're crushing it in the Christian life, it's time to sit back and say, whoa, what's going on here? What sin am I ignoring? What what am I overlooking? Because Christ alone is your righteousness, Christ alone is your redemption. Christ alone is your sanctification and your wisdom. To God alone be the glory. Dear listener, have you been and are you being sanctified by the Spirit? May God in His sovereign grace draw you to Christ, causing you to trust in Him and Him alone for your salvation. By the grace of God, repent of your sin and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation from sin. And that leads me to my final point. We've considered the foundation of our sanctification, the agent of our sanctification, but now let us consider the effects of sanctification, which Peter mentions here, the effects of sanctification. He says we are are chosen and called in the sanctification of the Spirit for what? For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. The word obey is not a four-letter curse word. It is what we are called to. But what is this obedience that Peter specifically has in mind here? Is he, is he talking about obedience to God's law? Is he talking about, is he giving a sort of a, opening the door for a works righteousness uh, view of salvation? Well, no. The primary thing that Peter probably has in mind here when he talks about obedience to Jesus Christ, is that initial obedience which is involved in the call of the gospel, the call to faith and repentance. However, once again, no doubt Peter understood, as we should understand, that this initial obedience of repentance from sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this initial obedience of conversion in response to the gospel call will inevitably lead to a life of walking after, pursuing a new obedience, walking after a new obedience, as our confessional standards like to put it. So what are the results of this sanctifying of the Spirit? Obedience to Jesus Christ. In other words, true conversion to Christ by the sovereign grace of God. But then he goes on to mention, and for sprinkling with his blood. Through faith, through saving faith in Christ, we receive the benefits of Christ's shed blood. Now, I plan to uh, preach on the phrase, the sprinkling of his blood on the next Lord's Day evening, so more on this particular point in a future sermon. But here I would simply remind us that this phrase points to the truth that it is the Holy Spirit who applies to us the redeeming work of Christ. Again, as I've already said, but as we need to hear over and over again, the Father has chosen us in Christ God, the Son incarnate, has redeemed us by his precious blood. And the spirit of sanctification, the Holy Spirit, applies to us the benefits of Christ's atoning blood. How do we we receive those benefits? By God-given faith. Simply put, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Trust that in Christ you have a merciful, forgiving God. It is the Spirit that enables you to believe in Christ, and it is the Spirit who will apply to you the benefits of His shed blood, namely forgiveness of all of your sins and a right standing with God. So what are are some of the lessons we can learn here? We can learn many lessons, but let me just leave you with two, two thoughts as we close our time in the Word this evening. First of all, true believers desire to live holy obedient lives if you love your sin if you are arrogant and unrepentant in your sin and you cling to it you don't want to let it go i can assure you you are not a christian you're not born again the spirit if he is at work in your heart and life will implant within your soul a desire for holiness, though you still have your sin nature and you will still desire other things as well, there will be that inner conflict, yet in your heart of hearts you desire to live a holy, obedient life. And by the way, if you have that genuine desire, however faint, take encouragement for that, from that, for that shows that the Spirit is at work in you. Yes, we who are believers will continue to struggle with sin as long as we continue in this present life. The world may overwhelm us with its temptations. The devil may mightily discourage and viciously accuse us. He's called the accuser of the brethren for a reason. He loves to dredge up your past, remind you of all the bad stuff you did in the past, and remind you also of your present sin struggles. Well, how can you call yourself a Christian when you did this on this particular occasion, when you thought that thought or said that word or committed that sinful deed, how can you call yourself a Christian if you're thinking, if you still struggle with those evil, sinful thoughts? The devil would love to get your focus off of Jesus and back onto yourself. The devil would love to get you navel-gazing. Don't fall for it. For every look that you take to yourself, in yourself, for every act of legitimate self-examination, for every look at yourself, take three looks at Jesus at least. Keep your eyes fixed upon Him. So the world may seek to overwhelm you with its temptations. The devil may seek to discourage you. And your own sinful flesh may often seem to get the upper hand. But if we are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, then in our heart of hearts we will desire nothing more than to live holy lives that are pleasing to our loving Father, and we will strive after holiness in heart and life, however halting and imperfect that striving may be. And so, believer, let me leave you with this. Believer, be encouraged. Though you may be painfully aware of your own struggle with sin, the truth is that the Spirit is leading you into greater and more consistent obedience. You may look, if you've been in the Lord for a while, you may look back in your life and say, you know, Pastor, I'm not sure if I see much growth in sanctification. I seem to be. Struggling with the same sins, and where's the change that there ought to be? I remember um, reading a comment once, I believe, by the Reformed theologian Michael Horton. He made a comment once that uh, discipleship is like watching corn grow. You ever tried to watch corn grow? You know, you fertilize it, you make sure it's watered, and then you pull out a seat and you watch. Are you going to see that corn grow? you can be sitting there a long time. It's a gradual process. Well, holiness, progressive sanctification, is the same way. And so my encouragement to you is continue fighting the good fight. God is indeed at work in you, both to will and to do. And he who began a good work in you, not may, not might, but will carry it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. May God encourage you. And bless you, dear brother, dear sister in Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, sovereign and eternal God, we praise you and thank you for the finished work of Christ. We thank you for the work of your Spirit, who works in us both to will and to do that which is your good pleasure, and who is conforming us over time into the image of Christ. We do pray that you would deepen our hunger and thirst after righteousness, our desire after holiness. And we pray that you would help us from our hearts to hate sin more and more, and to love righteousness, and to pursue holiness, not in order to gain your grace or favor, but because you have been so merciful and kind to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. Let's respond to what we've heard this evening by rising and singing number 502, All for Jesus. As we... Prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper together, we'll sing 502, All for Jesus.